All right. My name is Caleb. I'm the campus pastor here at New Philly Puzan, and I'm excited to be up here today. Um, yeah, it's a blessing. And uh, I was, I was kind of thinking, you know, like the, the year kind of sneaks up on you. And this past week, I was really kind of med- meditating, and I was just like looking, and I looked at the clock, and I realized, well, first of all, my Anastasia, I work with her, she's like, you know, your monthly plan is due tomorrow. And I was like, what? And I looked at, the, I looked at, where, where is she? I was like, I looked at the thing and I realized it was, Nove- it's like last week of November. And I realized this Sunday, as we, as I preached, we only have one month of 2014 left. We have one month before the year's over and we walk into 2015. January 1st, 2015, my son Ethan will be three years old in Korean age. That's crazy. Because he was born like last year. So he, he turns three officially to the government. To the government, he, he's three years old. All of you guys, many of you young people, you think you guys are like, oh, I'm so young. You guys are like 35 in Korean. <laughs> I'm telling you. They, it like, they add like three, four years. I don't know what it is. They just, they just like adding years to how old you are. Uh, 2015 will be the start of our fourth year here in Busan. Where me and Mina personally, we came on January 2nd or January 1st, 2012. So this is, will be the beginning of our fourth year in the city of Busan. For some of you, 2015 will be a year of transition. For some of you, you guys might get married. Yes. Some of you might start dating. Let's flip that order. Let's say we, some of you start dating first. And then you guys will get married. Some of you, definitely one of you guys in here will have a new member to your family. For our campus, I believe that 2015 will be a year of promise, be your breakthrough and increase. But whatever kind of year 2015 will be for us, according to the calendar, we have one month left, 31 days and four Sundays. For me, as I was pondering this upcoming month, I realized that I only have a few sermons left to preach to you before 2014. I started to really pray, and I asked God, I was like, God, give me a word, give me a revelation. You know? And God brought me to Deuteronomy 8. And I read Deuteronomy 8. I was like, all right, that's great. Let's, let's move on. <laughs> and God was like, no, he kept on bringing me to Deuteronomy 8. I was at work, and I read it again, and continued to bring me to Deuteronomy 8. So if you read Deuteronomy 8, it's a call by Moses to the people of Israel to remember the Lord, to, to remember what he has done. And how he has led them. So Moses, he leads the people of Egypt out of slavery. They were in slavery for 400 years. And God, he liberates them. He parts the Red Sea. And they're, they're starting to, to, to move on to the promised land that God had promised to Abraham. And every chance the Israelites have to complain, to grumble, to lose faith, they do. No water! Like, oh, no, we got no food. No, we, we want meat. Mina's on a, in a Daniel fast, so right now she's saying, I want meat. They blame Moses. They blame God for trying to kill them. Moses is like, they're like, oh, we blame you, Moses. Like, no, you, who am I that you blame me? You're actually blaming God. And Moses goes to God and it's like, what do I do, God? Because it looks like they're going to stone me. But for every need and complaint that the Israelites had, God continued to be with them 
He gave them water. He gave them manna. They wanted meat. He's like, eat some quail. But they're complaining, they're grumbling, their lack of faith and putting God to the test. It came at a price. And when Moses, he sent out the 12 spies, one man from each tribe, to check out the promised land. And he's like, go and, 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 and tell me. And this Lord commands them to go and, and check it out and spy it out. And they come back and they, they come back with a, a pole with a huge grape on it. And they say that they, they're, 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 the fruits were just bursting. And they say that they, there was a, a, a cluster of grapes that took two people to carry it on a pole. Like, these are giant grapes. I just imagine like grapes like this big. Like, oh. I don't know. Just, I don't know how big these grapes could be. But then and Moses asked him and, and, and ten of the spies are like, no, these are giants. They're going to they're gonna destroy us. And we, we might as well just, no, we might as well even not even cross the Jordan. They, they, they're huge, man. They got giants over there. You know, their, their walls are fortified. We can't, we can't defeat them. But two men. And it says, if, this, is, this is how they talk. I love this because this sounds so melodramatic. If only we had died in the land of Egypt. If only we had died in the wilderness. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should become victims? What would it be not better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. They're like, they're mad dramatic. They're like, oh. But only Caleb, a cool guy named Caleb, <laughs> and, and Joshua, Moses' assistant, they gave a good report. <laughs> right on, brother. They're saying, man, we could take them. The land is ours to take. Let's, like Caleb's like, man, let's go down, man. Come on. We can do this. And because of the bad report, God leads the people of Israel to wander the desert for 40 years to cover a distance that historians say should have only taken them 11 days. Because they were already camped out at the, they could, they could literally go and spy out the promised land. It's like 11, 11 days journey and it took them 40 years of wandering the deserts so that the generation of people died that gave the bad report would die out in the desert. And out of that generation, only two men, Caleb and Joshua, will be able to enter the promised land. And after the Israelites wander in the desert for 40 years, they are all gathered on the plains of Moab, and Moses gives his final sermons, his final words to the people of Israel before he dies. They're camped right outside of the land of Canaan, and on the 11th month of their 40th year in the wilderness, Moses is addressing God's people, preparing them for the promised land. And that's what the book of Deuteronomy is all about. Basically, three sermons that Moses gives. Before Joshua takes over and the Israelites enter into the promised land. The, Deuteronomy, the word Deuteronomy is a, is a mistranslation of the Septuagint or the Greek translation of the Jewish scripture. And it means second law or the second giving of the law. And here in Deuteronomy 8, Moses is giving a call to the people of Israel to remember the Lord. Remember what he has done. And I want us to read this chapter together. It's, it's quite long. It's not that long. It's only 34 verses. No, actually, no, it's a little longer than that. That's not, that's not Deuteronomy. So let's turn our Bibles to Deuteronomy 8. If you have an ESV version, which is the version that we use and I'm going to read, please read out loud. If you don't, maybe read a little bit quieter than everybody else. Okay, and I'm going to read two verses, and then you guys will read two verses. We'll go in, in order. So Deuteronomy 8. If you guys are there, I'll start reading. 
The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do what you have lived and that you have lived, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give you, give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and be fearful of him. A land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing. A land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. Lest when you have eaten... And are full and have built good houses and live in them. And when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied. Who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble, humble you and test you to do good in the end. Beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and my might of my, and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so shall you perish, because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. It says, you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years. The whole way. And he's saying, remember what God has done for you in these 40 days, because it wasn't just to punish you. And he didn't just... Drop you off in the desert and left you there for 40 years to make circles. But he was with you every step of the way. Moses is saying, he led you. He who led you. He's saying this to the people of Israel. And he's saying that there was a purpose to their wandering. And it, wasn't, it, and it was to test them so that they would know what was in their heart. 
And when we study the way that the Lord led the people of Israel out of Egypt through the wilderness, the lessons that God continues to drive through to the Israelites is, I am all you need. You know, they reached the Red Sea and the Egyptians, you know, they decide, man, there's, we had like a, a grip of slaves, but now they're all gone. I mean, who's going to do all this work? And then they have this like, like, you know, like they come back to like reason and they're like, oh, send the, send the soldiers and bring back the Israelites. And so the Israelites are leaving. They're about, they come to the Red Sea and, the, and they can see the, 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 the Israelite army just marching against them. And, and they're hot, hot on their heels. And, and, and it says, the people say, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us by us in bringing us out of Egypt? There's that drama again. And then God, he parts the Red Sea. He does this amazing thing. The Red Sea is not, is not just like a river. It is huge. And he parts the Red Sea. And, and the Israelites cross over and, and the Lord tells them, I am all you need. And they're hungry. They're, they're walking through the wilderness and they're hungry. And they're, they start complaining again. Would that we had died in the land of the Lord, in the land of Egypt, when we sat by meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. And God sends manna from heaven. And God's saying, I am all you need. And they're thirsty. And they say, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? And God brings water from rock. And he tells them, bam. I am all you need. And even in the way that God gave them manna in Exodus 16, 16, I'm going to read it to you. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it. Each one of you, as much as he can eat, you shall each take an omer according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did. They did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning, they gathered it, and each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. God is saying, this food that I'm giving you will not give you security. He's saying, I am all you need. This is the lesson that God continues to drive into the, the hearts of the Israelite people. I am all you need. And when you see how they traveled, and it says, as we read Deuteronomy 8, it wasn't easy. There were snakes. There were scorpions. There were, there were, it was difficult. But through everything, God was continuing to tell them, I am all you need. Deuteronomy 8.3, And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. He's like, I am all you need. Despite God's continual provisions and leading, they continue to look back at Egypt. And when God teaches them that I am all you need, they continue to respond with, man, we need this. We need that. And even the sending out of the 12 spies, it was a test. It was a test to see, am I all they need? 
And when he wasn't, God used 40 years to drive into them the understanding that he is all they need. And I'm not saying that you guys are all stubborn people. That's why I'm not bringing this up. And that you guys are complaining. I love you guys. You guys are great. I love you, Philly Buzan. Each and every one of you have been such a blessing to me. But I believe that as we stand before the end of this year and we look off into the start of a new year, God is reminding us of this lesson. Am I all you need? Are you content with me? When you look back at this year and how God has led you through the good and the bad, are you content with him? Is he all you need? Now, when Moses was up in Mount Sinai, the Israelites asked Aaron to make, him, make them gods. He's like, make, he's like, up, make us gods so that these gods can go, go before us. And in the way that the Israelites were chasing after a golden calf to be their god, it's so easy for us to go after things that we feel are going to satisfy us. But in the end, it leaves us not content. And I want to bring this question before you today. Are you content? Are you content? Do you have contentment in your life? I want you guys to turn your Bibles to Philippians 4, verse 10. And we're going to talk about what Paul says about contentment. Philippians 4, verse 10. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concerns for me. Paul's right now, he's in prison, right? And the church of Philippi were able to send him some financial support. And he's saying, you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. And he says, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. He's like, man, I'm content. It doesn't matter if I have a lot. It doesn't matter if I have little. I have learned how to be content. And the lesson God has for the Israelites and for us is to live in contentment. To live satisfied lives. Are you content in where God has you right now? Or is there grumbling in your heart? And I believe that being content in all circumstances is a key virtue that we as people of God, we need to be able to possess. And our contentment isn't something that we have to fight. It's something that we have to fight for. It doesn't come easy. But Paul says, I can do all things through Christ, through him who strengthens me. And as we look at the word contentment and, and, and our desire and God's desire for us to have contentment in our lives... I believe that there's four mindsets that we need to fight to hold fast to our contentment in God. And in order to be content, we have to fight these mindsets. And we, we see these mindsets in the, also in the mindset of the Israelites. And the first mindset that we need to fight is the apathetic. Man, I'll never be satisfied in life. Why should I even try or care? God can't solve this issue in my life. What's the point? Apathy is a is faith killer. There, there isn't even a chance for faith to grow because it snuffles it out before it's born. What's the point in going after the promised land? We're probably just all going to die anyways. How about you? There's a bunch of Israel, Israelites saying, that, man, what's the point? Why are we even going? 
Like we might as well just go back to Egypt. One of the hardest mindsets to counsel is an apathetic heart. It's when you don't care. But Satan loves apathy. Because it's a breeding ground for his schemes. It's a breeding ground for his lies. And we have to fight apathy. If we are to live content lives, if we want to be content in what God has for us, I believe that we have to fight apathy. We have to fight this apathetic mindset. The sex is the malcontent. The malcontent. The dictionary defines it as a person who is dissatisfied and rebellious. Dissatisfied and complaining or making trouble. Mal just means bad. Ew, it's from a French word. And content means to be content, to be satisfied. So they're not just not content. They're just malcontent. They're badly content. They're just rebellious. They're like, man, I don't care, man. I just can do whatever I want. The malcontent says, I'm not satisfied and I don't care. I'm just going to do what I want to do to find satisfaction. God's taking too long, so I'm just going to do what I want to do on my own. Or I'm not satisfied, so I'm just going to sit here and complain and grumble. Moses ain't coming back. Make us a golden cap. That we can at least feel secure and feel content. Meat. We want meat. Why did you drag us out of Egypt? At least we had fish to eat in Egypt. You know, fish is meat. We ain't got no meat here. Give us meat. I want meat. This is the type of attitude. This is the mindset that kills our contentment in life. And the malcontent mindset is contagious. When you see, the, you guys in the, in, in the mission field, be wary of this. When you guys go out in the mission field and somebody is malcontent, you got to squash that quick. Because it's going to start breeding. Man, why do I got to sleep here with all these mosquitoes? And girls get to sit over there with a fan as they sleep. I mean, man, why do I have to sit out here? They got no mosquito nets, no nothing. Malcontent. This is not condition. Nothing can satisfy them. We've got to fight this mindset. We've got to war against being malcontent. And third, the fourth mindset is fearful. Are people that can't find contentment because they allow fear to choke it out of out any faith. Because the opposite of faith is fear. They can never be satisfied in anything because of anxiety, worry, and fear. Now, the ten spies that got sent out. These are the same spies. These are the same men that saw God part the Red Sea. Now, if you guys want to get an understanding of what the Red Sea looks like, when you sit on one side of the Red Sea, it looks exactly like Puzan right here. But you don't see the other side. Like, have you been to a lake that's so big you don't see the other side? That's like... That's like the Red Sea. And then to, for God to be able to part that, because just then look outside here and imagine God parting this ocean so that there's dry land. They see this with their own eyes. They see God rain manna down from heaven. They see God bring water from rock. It says flinty rock, which is like dry rock. <laughs> and yet they lose fear because they see a bunch of tall guys. A bunch of guys that look like like Ted. Like, oh, we can't take them. They're, just, they're, just, they're big. They're giants. Man, the grapes that they eat, they, they eat are huge. It's, it's, it, and they let fear choke out any kind of faith that they were able to have. Even after seeing the amazing thing that God has done, right before their eyes, they allow fear to come set in. Fear is a, is, it, it can, will destroy your faith. We have to be wary of being fearful. This mindset. You've got to understand that God 
can do all things. We've got to understand that God, he, He's God. There's no other like Him. And He is on our side. And we'll go into that later on. We've got to be fight the, being fearful. The fourth mindset we've got to fight is prideful. It says, And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that He might humble you. The prideful says, I'm not content, and I know what's right for me, and I deserve it, so I'm going to do what I know is good for me. It's the prideful that goes after things at other people's expense, that undermines wise counsel. It's the prideful that falls into covetousness. It's the prideful that falls into debt to gain affluence, to realize that they're still not content. Pride was the number one thing. It's... like, it's like the sneakiest sin. And I talked about it last, last week. Because humility is one of the hardest things to act, like, hold in your hand and to really ascertain. But pride is so sneaky. It's so sneaky. And we think, we feel like, oh, I've conquered pride. And the minute that we think we've conquered pride, you realize, man, I'm so prideful. And, and this mindset that we feel like, there, there's times when we feel God tells us, man, you, you're going to do this. And we're like arguing with God. God, you don't know what you're talking about. Hey, God, I know you are omniscient and you know all things, but you don't know this. You got to understand, God. Like, I know you know everything, but come on, look at this. This is, this, you know, just look. And, and that's pride. And that's the mindset we really have to, we have to fight. This is going to lead us into a life of not being content. How can we be content when even we, our knowledge of God, we feel that we know better? That we understand more. Gotta be fight. We gotta fight the prideful. God uses forty years of wandering in the desert to rid these mindsets from the people of Israel, and it still doesn't stick in the end. And we must also fight to keep away these mindsets, as we are able to find and fight for our contentment in our lives. Now, when I say contentment, I want to make something clear here. I'm not saying. Just be content with what you have. I'm not telling you to kill your dreams and just be content. I'm not saying, just be grateful with what you get. Because our ninth core value is to dream big. And God wants us to dream big. He wants us to have great hopes. He wants us to all have great aspirations. And He wants us to go after those things. God has an amazing promise and a future for the Israelites in the promised land. And he was telling man, be content. He's not telling, he didn't tell them, just be, just, just be grateful with what you're getting in the wilderness. Come on. No, he was using that to let him know, man, you have the promised land. We want, I want you to go after the promised land. But in the meanwhile, I want you to follow me. He wanted them to have the promised land and the hope of getting there. He wasn't saying, just be content in the desert and the manna. Because that's all you're going to get. But he said, you know what? Go after the promised land. You, you can have the promised land. But don't let the promised land replace your satisfaction in me. The promised land cannot replace me. It says, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Ultimately, our contentment 
will not be based on anything of our circumstances. If I only had this, I'd be content. If I only had this, I'd be content. And we, we, God wants us to go after the promised land. But that, but get that promised land cannot replace who God is in your life. You know, our, our big, our core value, dream big. We're, we're gonna dream big and we're gonna go after our dream as a church and as individuals. But that dream will never replace who God is in us. We will never, we will never replace our, our, our dream for the person that is Christ in our lives. Your circumstances can't bring you contentment because it comes from within. Contentment. Paul's saying it comes from within. It's Christ who gives me strength. Colossians 1.27. To them God chose, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ Jesus in you, hope of glory. So your contentment. We think, man, as long as I have this, I'm going to feel content. God, as long as you help me achieve this, I mean, I feel like I'm going to be content. And then God helps you get that. Are you still not content? Because you got to understand, your contentment doesn't come from anything that is in this world. Your contentment comes from Christ in you, hope of glory. It comes from within. Whatever the world has to offer you, yeah, it's okay to go after it. It's okay. God's not saying, no, you're not supposed to own a Bentley. You're a Christian. No, he's like, own a Bentley, own three. But don't let that replace who, who God is in you. And this is what God is telling the Israelites. What's what he's telling Are you content? And is your contentment coming from what you have, what you own, what, what people see you as, your position, your job? Or is it coming from who God is in you? Christ in you, hope of glory. The Israelites, for them, it didn't matter what God did for them. For them, they were always, they're just like, like, man, look at my circumstances. We got no food. Well, I just parted the Red Sea. You don't think I'm going to give you some food? They're like, they were continually looking at their circumstances. They're continuing to look at like, like, in, they started to go back to their slave, slave mentality. At least in Egypt, we had meat. At least in Egypt, I had a pot of meat that I can eat. How are you going to bring me out? And they allowed their circumstances to rule their identity. You guys understand that? Your circumstances will never rule your identity. And if, you're, if, if that's how you're living, if the circumstances in your life, the things in your life, the, the, the position in your life is ruling who you are, and your identity of who you are, you've gotten, you've gotten Christ all mixed up. Because what, what God, what the Lord is telling the Israelites is what God is telling us. Man, everything that you are, to be content is already in you. There's a story of a man. He was, a, he, he, he was in World War II. He was about to be executed. He, was, he fought for, you know, to, to bring down the Nazi regime. And as he, as he was being executed, he was saying, you know what? Like, like happiness, can, it doesn't come from circumstances. But it, it comes from who, what's within you. I paraphrase that horribly. <laughs> but, but that's what it is, man. He was dying. He's about to be executed. But he's saying, you know what? I have joy in my heart. 
in Christ. I mean, Paul right here, sitting in prison. And, and he's like, like he, he's like, you know, for something that he didn't even do, he was framed. It's not like Paul like went and robbed the bank. He's sitting in prison, and he's like, man, I'm content. I'm content. Now, thank you for sending me some money, Church of Philippi, but I'm not saying that I need, you know, like, thank you. He's like, I'm very grateful. But it's not like, it's, it's, I'm not saying, I didn't, I didn't write you to tell you how, that I'm in need. That's what he's saying. It's like, man, there's, I have a contentment that comes. It's within me. It's Christ. So I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can be brought low. I can, I can be, be raised up high. I can live in, in abundance and I can and live in hunger. It doesn't matter. Because my circumstances does not dictate who I am. Now I want to close with the areas within you that you must seek to find contentment. And I wanted to make three, but I just got had a bunch of them came to my head. <laughs> the first one, be content in God's love and goodness. You got to just be content. Some of us, when we don't get what we want, we feel like, man, God hates me. Why does God, like, not love me? Why, why is God so mean to me? <laughs> like, why, why, can't, why won't this happen for me? And we, we start to equate, like, what we have, our circumstances, with the love of God. You got you to understand, God loves you. He loves you. That doesn't change. It doesn't change. He, you can reject God and say, God, you don't exist. I've done this before. You don't exist. God, you're not, like, 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 man, you know, you're not even real. He still loves you. His love and goodness never changes. He's good. He's not some God, he's not some God in heaven wanting to punish you. Ah, Tiffany, I saw that. Bam. You're going to go broke. No, I, I didn't. I didn't speak that over you. I speak abundance in your life, Tiffany. But we feel that way sometimes. A lot of times, we feel like when circumstances in our lives don't go right, we feel like, "Man, God, why are you trying to punish me? Why are you trying to? Why are you hating on me, God?" But we have to be content in God's love and goodness. He is good, and He loves you. That will never change. We gotta understand that. That has to come. From the inside, and that's where contentment is going to start flowing. As we understand, that's the first and I'm If you don't have that, all of these other steps are not really going to work out for you. Be content in God's love and goodness. Number two, be content in God's sovereignty. He is in control. You got to be okay with that. You got to understand that God is in control. There's times in your life where things, like I'm talking about your circumstances again, it's going gonna, it's gonna, to, man, my circumstances suck. What's going on? But you got to understand, and you got to be content and understanding and knowing that God is in control. He is sovereign. In all things, He is sovereign. My job, that's so hard. Uh, you got to understand, He is sovereign. People in my work are treating me so bad. I'm getting, they're robbing me at work. You know what? I understand that, but God is sovereign. He is in control. You got you to be content with that got to be content with God's sovereignty. Number three, be content in who you are and how God made you. Because you're the only one of you that he ever and ever will make. Be satisfied in who you are in him. Don't try to be anyone else. Be yourself. There's so many people out in this world 
They don't know who they are because they just put on new facades. They see a new facade on TV like, man, that's cool. I want to try to be this person. Man. And that don't work out and they go and find somebody else. Oh, man, this guy, a lot of people like him. I want to try to be like him. No, God made you, you. And he wants you to be you. Nobody else. Pastor Kurt, Pastor, no, Pastor Kerman. <laughs> Pastor Christian preached an amazing word a few weeks ago. It's called the path to spiritual formation. And he talks about how we are, like, there's no one else in this universe that ever was and that will ever will be you. And, the, and you can only worship God in the way that he has made you. Distinctly. And, and, and yes, you have quiet time and Bible reading, but that's, that's not what defines your spiritual connection with God. It's so much more than that. And there's so many different ways that we can connect with God and, 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 and be formed by God and experience God's grace through the power of His Spirit. That was a powerful sermon. I encourage you guys to check it out. But be content in who you are and how God made you. Like, don't try to be somebody else. This is one lesson that I... This is even a secular lesson. For secular people, don't try to be somebody that you're not. Don't fake the funk. <laughs> don't try to fake the funk. Just be yourself. Because God, he created you and said, you know what? I want Ted. Ted, I want you to be you. I want Louis. I don't want you to be your brother. You don't have to be funny as your brother. It's all right. <laughs> because you are you, and I want you to worship me in you. Now, you're funnier than your brother, man. He's a lot funnier than his brother. His brother's not listening to this. So <laughs> but be content in who you are, how God made you. That is key. If you're gonna, if you're gonna find contentment in your life, if you want to be content in the Lord, you got to be content in how He made you. And yes, somebody else might look better than you. Somebody else might have different giftings than you. But you got to understand the way that God made you is perfectly the way that He made you. So you can't rob God of that. Don't try to be something that you are not meant to be. But be you. Be content in who you are and how God made you. Step number four, be content in the season that God has you in. There is a season and there is a lesson in every season that God has you in. And when you are content, you'll be able to learn those lessons. So, I mean, a lot of you guys are single in here. And a lot of you guys want to get married. And it's okay to want to get married. I want to let you guys know, it's okay to want to get married, all right? Yeah, it's okay. It's all right. But, but, but fully receive the season that you are in now. Fully embrace it and fully understand it. Because if you don't embrace the season that you are in now, when the time for your new season comes, you're going to miss it. Because eventually, God wants you to learn every lesson that you have for this season before you can fully receive the next season of your life. Some of you guys have great dreams and aspirations, but it's just not happening for you guys right now. It's just not, it just might not be the season for you. But don't spend this time in discontent. Know that God is sovereign and receive what God has for you in the season of your life. A lot of people... They, they, they live lives of discontent. They just aren't satisfied. Because there's this place that they want to get to, and it's just not happening. 
But be content where God has you now. When you look at King David, he was anointed as king when he was like very young. And there was a lot of years in between him being anointed by Samuel and him taking the throne. He knew that. Samuel came and said, you know what? You're going to be the king of Israel. Well, okay, but I'm tending sheep right now. And then, and, but there were seasons in between God anointed him, and when he took, took the reins and, and, and started rule over Israel, there, was a, there were many seasons of his life, or many lessons that he had to learn. And seasons of being in the wilderness with his sheep, just worshiping the Lord. Oh, Lord, I love you so much. He's looking up at the skies and just seeing the majesty of God, God's goodness. And then, you know, being in Saul's servant service and, and being like almost being murdered by Saul and being chased by him through the wilderness. These are all, man, to him at that time, he probably like, man, this is not fun. Man, I didn't Samuel say I was going to be king. I thought I was supposed to be king. But you know what? He was there every lesson. And he never, he never lost sight of who he was in God. Even when he, had, he was in a cave and Saul comes in. Saul doesn't know he's, David's hiding in a cave with his men. And then Saul comes in, you know, because he's a king. He can't let people do his business. And he goes into a cave to take care of business. And David's down there. And he's like, man, I could, I could take this guy right now. But he's like, man, I cannot touch the Lord's anointing. But, but he goes and he takes like a tassel from the bottom of his robe. And then afterwards, he like, he repents. He's like, oh, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm, and he's like, I, I touched the, you're, you're anointed. Even to the end, even when Saul was going after him, about to trying to kill him, he never lost sight of God's sovereignty and who he was in God. And he never tried to, try to go beyond what God was telling him to do. He knew how to be in the seasons of his life. And then when he became king, he knew exactly what he was supposed to do. And he never lost sight of that. And we, as a people of God, we have to understand God has seasons for us. For a reason. Be content in the seasons that God has you in. Be content in God's blessings. Be content in God's blessings. Count your blessings. Count the ways that God is meeting your needs. And when God blesses you, be thankful. Also, like I said, it's okay to want nice things. But you can't let those things rule your life. It's okay to want that raise. It's okay to want that promotion. It's okay to want that job. But understand that the, the raise, the promotion, the job is not going to give you security. Don't put your faith in those things. A lot of people in the world today, even Christians, they, they, they lose sight of what gives them security. And there's so many people that compile mass amounts of wealth. They think that it's going to you know, there's people in the dot-com era, those dot-com, they're like, man, you know, like, get, like 250,000 shares of, like, 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 this dot-com, man, I'll take it. And they, they put all their hope in that. Like, man, I, they go and spend all this money. Like, I have 250,000 shares of this dot-com. And then, like, a couple of months later, this dot-com stopped coming and it started no longer a company. They're like, your 250,000 shares are worth 250,000 nothings. They put their, all their hope and all their faith in money. It can go in an instant. You can have a million dollars right now. I can give you a million dollars. You can put all the hope and faith you want in that million dollars. 
not gonna, it's not gonna last long. Money does not give you security. Your job does not give you security. Your possessions cannot give you security. Because it cannot give you, you any kind of significance. Because whatever significance you gain from that, you've experienced it right there. God's saying, store up your, your riches, your treasures in heaven. But be content in God's blessing. Sometimes the provisions might not be there. But don't let fear grip your heart. Sometimes the provisions, you're going to, like the Israelites, man, we ain't got nothing to eat. But understand that God is sovereign. And, and don't let fear take over your life. But do what you need to do. There's stuff that you need to do. And some of y'all are like, man, I got no money. You guys aren't working. Duh. <laughs> Get a job. But, but do what you need to do. But, but don't, let, don't let fear like, take over your life. Because you've got to understand, God is in control. He's sovereign. He loves you. Be content in God's timing. Very difficult for many of you guys. Be content in God's timing. That's my last point. Be content in God's timing. Learn to wait on the Lord with contentment. A lot of times we feel like we're smarter than God. And we'll tell Him what the right time is. But God's timing is not just the right time, but it's the perfect time. You've got to understand. There's, there's right times to do things, but then there's the perfect time. And God's saying, you know what? If you wait on me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do things because I'm perfect. Just wait on my timing. When you're waiting on the Lord, do it with joy. Don't be like, man, God, all right, it's been four months. What's up, dude? Come on, what's up, God? Come on. Can, can, can I get a little something, a little bit something? I don't know if I can wait any longer. I'm, I'm waiting on you, Lord. I'm waiting on you, Lord. But we've got to understand, when we wait on the Lord, he says, do it with joy. Do it with peace. Rest. It comes from knowing who he is. We've got we to understand, man, God, he's in control. He's sovereign. And so when we wait on his timing, you've got to do it with joy. He doesn't want you to wait grumbling. That's what the Israelites did. Man, when are we going to get to the promised land? I thought it was only like 30 miles away. It's been 27 years. Ah, manna again. Are you kidding me? I'm sick of this quail. Like, like, okay, I, 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 I see, I see the miracles. That's great, God. But can we just, can we get to the promised land? That's not how God wants us to wait. A lot of times that's how we wait. We wait on the Lord, but we wait with grumbling in our hearts. I'm like, man, what's up, God? Come on. I deserve this. Can you hurry it up? He said, God, be content in God's timing. If you want to be content in life, you've got to understand, certain things are going to take longer. Some of your husbands, it's taking a while, but it's all right. Just understand that there's a God's timing in, in all things. And he is sovereign. Be content in God's timing. Now I want to quickly close with how. How do I find contentment in these areas? What do I do? I'm going to close with Matthew 6. We're going to read Matthew 6, 25, and we're going to read down to 33. Matthew 6, 25 down to 30, 33. And I'll read it to you. 
Therefore I tell you, these are the words of Christ. Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith, therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Man, those are the words of Christ. And they're perfect. He's like, man, come on. Don't put your contentment on the things that you need, that the exterior things in your life. Don't put your value. You're worth so much more than that. Don't put any kind of, like, don't worry about it. The eyes, he's like, your heavenly father knows that you need them all, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You want to find contentment? Find yourself seeking the kingdom of God. And seek his righteousness. Seek him. You know, I'm not a good looking man. My wife says I'm good looking, but I'm, I'm average. I'm not the smartest man in the world. I don't have the greatest job. As a matter of fact, my, my work is very difficult. I'm tired a lot. And I'm always kind of, it just seems like, you know, just like, you know, it's, it, my life is not easy. But you know what? I'm content. Doesn't mean that everything I want, I get. Doesn't mean that everything I do uh, is what I want to do. But I found a contentment in God by seeking His kingdom. I want to let you know that and my life is not Sometimes not fun. Sometimes I go to work in the morning. I'm like, man, I got to look at those kids again. I got to look at Harry picking his nose again. And there's times where I feel like, man, it's tough. I get home from work, and then Mina's like, oh, can you take care of Ethan? I'm like, okay, do the dishes. And I'm like, oh, okay. But you know what? I've I've learned to find, find contentment in God. I believe it comes from seeking his kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek his kingdom. You'll find contentment. Realize that your contentment doesn't come from the things around you, but it comes from within you. Now, I want to close with 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 16 through 18. Paul's telling us, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This, this, is, this is right here. Is, if you want to be at peace in who you are, 
And you want to find contentment? Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. And give thanks in all circumstances. There's times when circumstances you're going to feel like, man, I I can't give thanks for this. God's saying, you know what? Give thanks in all circumstances. Because you know what? As you start to continue to give thanks, as you continue to rejoice, you're going to realize that there is a wellspring of life that's flowing out of you. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that contentment is what's going to keep you going to run this race to the end strong. To run this race and to finish strong. And, and you had to realize, man, there, there's, you know, material things will come, they'll go. Jobs will come, they'll go. You know, like, like your significance, your stature, uh, how the world sees you will come, you'll go. Look at, you know, like the presidents. Bill Clinton, president of the United States. Well, not anymore. Yeah, he just lives in Harlem, has an office. No, it comes and it goes. But but your significance and your content must come from what is inside of you. And it's Jesus Christ, hope of glory. When you learn this and when you understand this, man, you're going to enjoy life so much more. And that's why Christ came. He said, I came to bring, so he said, you can live abundantly. You can have life and have it in abundance. That's why he's here. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you. We thank you, Lord, that you are truly leading and guiding us. Every step of the way, Lord. Like you led the people of Israel. And how you clothe the lilies of the field and you feed the birds. We know that you are sovereign and you are in control. And we put our hope and we put our faith in you. And Lord, we pray, Lord, that as we live our lives in this world, Lord, as we work, as we love, as we have a relationship, as we eat and drink, Lord, I just pray that you will help us to know that this world has nothing that can help us to be content. But Lord, we say that our contentment comes from who you are. Who you are in us. And so Lord, as we go after our dreams, and Lord, as we go after the things in this world that you tell us to reach for, And the things that you tell us to go after, God, we go after those. But, Lord, we say that we will never take our eyes off of you, who is Jesus Christ, our hope of glory. And this world can fall away. This world will fall away. This world will crumble. These these amazing buildings will be like sand on the earth. But we, we say that the hope that we have in you is eternal and will never die. So, Lord, we thank you that we have a contentment 
as we go and as we look forward into 2015, God, help us to be a people of contentment. Not content on the things that we have, but help us to be content in who you are. That everything that you want to do in us and through us, that you're going to do, and it's all for your glory and your good. We love you. We thank you, Lord. We bless your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.